The Mission Valley got its dream They got a big league baseball team When Gomez led them in 69 Colbert and Jones did well But the Padres couldn't gel Till Williams took the reins And got the team in line I'm talking baseball Wynn and Wiggins on the loose Padre baseball Trevecki and the Goose Welcome, everybody, to the season preview edition of the Good Intelligence Podcast. I am David Marver of Change the Padres, joined by Padres Jagoff. Yes, I'm here. I'm back from Mexico City and ready for opening day tomorrow. Really quickly, let's touch on Mexico City. I know you you had a very long post about it. If people haven't read it yet, you should go to GoIntelligence.com, and it'll be on the homepage there. Um, just a very quick question. Was it worth it? Yeah, of course. It was... Uh... My guess is it didn't cost more than what the average fan spends when they go to Peoria. Uh, Hotels are cheaper. Food is cheaper. Uh, If you fly to Phoenix, the flight is about the same price as going to Phoenix. Uh, Rental cars aren't needed because Uber is so cheap there. Um, And if you want to talk cities, I mean, Phoenix is one one one-hundredth of the city that Mexico City is. I mean, Mexico City, from what I can tell, is one of the world's great cities. Awesome. And this is aside from the fact that you get to see the Padres play in a tiny little league-sized stadium sitting really close to the field, and um, you know I didn't get to see the game, but if I'd gone on Sunday, I would have gotten to see Jabari Blash hit two home runs, which would have been just amazing, outstanding. Yeah, I saw the, uh, the food pictures, and now living on the East Coast and not being close to San Diego Mexican food, or just Mexican food in general, uh, I was extremely jealous. Uh, yeah, I mean, the food is great. Any, I mean, just going down there for a weekend, I think, would be fun for anyone. Um, like, the food is great. The people are awesome. The city is nice. Like, it's got all these old colonial buildings. It feels like like Europe, but um, but with better food. Yeah, and if you venture out a little bit, you can go check out some ruins and see some cool stuff, too. Old yeah, huge pyramids. I saw uh, – I mean, the only people that really went were me and Darren Smith, from what I can tell. And uh, I know Darren Smith went out to uh, Teotihuacan, which is uh, the huge pyramids that are about 30 miles from the city. And uh, they looked really cool in the pictures, and I kind of regret that I didn't go. All right, well, I'll have to add it to my list. Um, I think I'll probably go back to Cancun first before I venture to Mexico City. But I think that's foolish. Cancun is mediocre compared to Mexico City. You know what? I'm missing the beach out here. I'm missing that weather. So. You live in Delaware. You live 40 minutes from the beach. You can start going to Rehoboth Beach. Yeah, that's actually like two mile, or two hours away. But oh. anyways, it's not, it's not the same, man. You know it's not the same. Delaware Beach versus Cancun? Come on. Cancun barely has a beach. It gets washed away by hurricanes every year. All right, well. Very, middle, very middling, Marver. You're really settling, you're really settling for, for something not as good. I assume you, you've got direct flights out of Philadelphia to Mexico City, at the very least, connecting in Texas. I mean, that that really should be the play here. Well, uh, Philadelphia is actually the uh, was it United hub? Um, no, U.S. Airways hub, um, and a lot of AA flights. So most of them will actually probably connect through Miami or somewhere around there or Atlanta. But um, yeah, there are cheap flights out of here. Anyways, we're getting off topic. This is the season preview episode. Padres today announced their twenty-five man roster. Um, there were some surprises. I, th- I think we should just go one by one on the basically the bottom of the roster and what you know the decisions that needed to be made. Obviously, Matt Kemp made the roster. Um, Derek Norris made the roster. But some of the guys on the back end were a little bit of a surprise to me. 
Um, first, let's start with your homeboy, Jabari Blash. Made the roster. Is he going to start, you think, at all? I, I put this on Twitter, and I know Make the Padre is Great Again talked about this on their podcast, but to me, uh, Blash is the exact kind of hitter that you don't want coming off the bench. Like, he, he's a swing-and-miss guy with power. He's not a good option for bringing in in late innings when you need someone to get on base, make contact, do whatever in, in the clutch. He needs regular at-bats. And I think at the point when you look at left field, it's difficult for me to say that it makes more sense to start Melvin Upton Jr. at left field than it does to start Jabari Blash. So to me, the sensible option is to start Blash. And I won't be surprised to see Blash starting tomorrow against Kershaw just based off the, the matchup. But um, I, to me, giving Upton at-bats over Blash defeats the purpose of adding him to the roster. So I'm hoping that he's not looked at as just an off-the-bench option. Yeah, and, I mean, more to your point, they already have Brett Wallace as that late-inning, you know, pinch hitter, I think. Yeah, and, he, and he's gotten a lot better at making contact and, and doing doing something with it, with those at-bats. Yeah, and I just don't think in the National League you can keep two pinch hitters on your roster, really. You have to actually have a plan to use most of your bench, uh, especially when you're keeping 13 pitchers or 12 pitchers like the Potters are. Um so I, I'm right there with you. I think the Blast should, if not getting um, significant regular time, at least some regular time, um, and really go with like a three-man rotation in center and left field. Obviously, Blast will never play center, but you know you can play John Jay and Melvin Upton and push Upton to left when you uh, decide to sit Blast. Maybe against some tough righties, although that's not really necessarily good for Upton either. But I was well. The thing with Upton is neither handedness is good for Upton. Like he's not a very good hitter. We we know what we're gonna get from him. Like his his added value is based last year was based off of his defensive value in center field. Yeah, and it makes you wonder. You know, you, you can pull up the splits for John Jay, for example. He's a left handed hitter. Um, Melvin Upton's obviously right handed hitter. And you can look at the two and say, well, couldn't they platoon in center? And you can just leave Jabari Blash and left. Um, and maybe spell them on, on some days that you want some extra outfield defense or whatever. Um, you know, you look at you pull up John Jay's stats, for example. So in that situation, you'd sit him against left-handed pitching, which is something that actually he's sort of done in his career. He has over 2,000 plate appearances against righties, less than 600 against lefties. Uh, OPS against right-handed pitching, 750 against left-handers below 700. So if you want to start adding a little bit of a value to your roster, you could start, you know, uh, sitting John Jay against left-handed pitching and starting Melvin Upton in center against left-handed pitching. Uh, and in that case, you kind of get the best of both worlds. You're playing Jabari Blash a lot, um, and you're getting uh, the most value out of John Jay and Melvin Upton that you can by platooning them. I'm not sure Andy Green will do that, but I think that is a sensible option. At the very least, you can start Jabari Blash against left-handers because John Jay is a downgrade against left-handers. Well, and I guess that brings us to the next name on the list, which is Travis Jankowski, who surprised me that he is making the 25-man roster because he's kind of he's kind of unneeded. Like we've got two defensive-minded center fielders already that aren't great hitters but can play the field really well, and then we're adding Jankowski, another guy who's the same person but maybe faster who may need more development at AAA. Like, he really he hasn't had very many at-bats above the AA level. Um, they rushed him up to the majors last year. He had trouble leaving the infield with his hits. Um, 
On the other hand, I can kind of see the, the value of Jankowski off the bench late in games, either as a pinch runner, late inning defensive replacement. And maybe that's what they have in mind. And maybe they've, maybe they just see Jankowski as that kind of player in the long term. So there's not a need for further development in the minors. I, I don't know, but, but yeah, his I, was the biggest surprise to me. Yeah, I think I think you're right on though. I think that's what Andy Green and maybe the Padres see Jankowski as now is just a um, you know glove first, uh, running the bases first, and pretty much nothing else type player. Who and look, you know they got Matt Kemp in right field still. There's nothing wrong with starting Matt Kemp in right. Uh, you know either Jay or Upton in center, depending on you know matchup like we just talked about, and Blash and left. And in the late innings, you can bring in Melvin Upton and Travis Jankowski, and all of a sudden you have a pretty decent or actually you know above average outfield defense with those three out there. So I think there is some bench value for Jankowski. Uh, you know, he could definitely use some uh, at-bats, at least uh, if you're hoping to see him develop, you know, into something more than just a late-inning defensive reliever or a pinch runner. Um, so I wasn't too surprised. I think you're a little bit more surprised than I was um, because he does have some, some value there off the bench, and that might be all the value that he ever brings to Padres. Well, I mean, the surprise is kind of combined with what we'll talk about later with the infielders. But if you look at positions of need, I mean, they're taking players in the outfield that are versatile. I mean, I mean, John Jay and Melvin Upton are eminently versatile. They can play probably any of the three outfield positions. And when you're when you've got Melvin Upton, who's not a great hitter these days and is a great fielder still. Um, he made sense to me to be the late-inning defensive replacement if needed. Um, I, I thought that they were going to take, like, Jamile Weeks or, or, I guess, Amarista, one of the two who can also play outfield in a pinch if necessary. So, um, I don't know. Jankowski surprised me the most, and also because he's one of our better prospects. Uh, you know, Mad Friars had him as our number one prospect using their methodology. And to me, that if he is, if he, if you think he's a valuable prospect, it makes more sense to have him getting regular at bats in AAA. But um, I don't know. Personally, my opinion is that's not what they see him as, and they're just going to ride him for what for what he is, which is a fast guy who's a good fielder. He might also be the first guy to get optioned down when they need to bring someone up from AAA. Oh, you mean not one of the thirteen uh, pitchers on the roster? No, but I mean let's. Say we have an infield, uh, you know, an injury in the middle infield. You know, having someone up there that you can readily send down isn't the worst idea. I mean, we've seen the pot no, yeah. years past start the year with all the guys with no options, and then all of a sudden, a couple injuries happen in the first two weeks, and they're just screwed. Um, right. Or you know, I, you know, I guess a big injury you also want, but in the case of you know a nagging injury, like let's say Alexi Ramirez hurts his finger and he needs you know five days off or three days off. You know, what are you going to do in that? Um, and I guess I'm segueing here to the fact that the Padres only really kept one backup infielder. I know Brett Wallace is on that list too, but let's not kid ourselves here. Um, and that's Adam Rosales. So anything like that early in the year, and there's going to be some roster shuffling pretty quickly here, I think. Yeah, I agree, I agree with that. Um, and he does seem like he would be ripe for being sent down. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I mean, all we can work off of is the uh, the opening day roster here. So um, I think that covers the outfield, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, catcher. Let me ask this on Blash real fast. Sure. I'm starting to think Blash is the most popular player on this team. I heard rounds of applause for him at FanFest this weekend that Will Myers didn't get. Um, 
I'm starting to think the way that the media has picked up on him and you see highlights of his like tape measured home runs. And I don't know if you watched the El Paso Chihuahuas game on Thursday night, but he tagged two balls. I don't know how far, like high four hundreds, like just destroyed the ball. And like, those are the kinds of things that make people dream. And I think make a guy popular, like a le- not a legend, but, um, a folk hero. I, I think part of it is that Padres fans for a while now, we've kind of just been seasoned to root, not just rooting for the underdog, like in general, because our team is generally always the underdog, but also rooting for those little niche things on rosters because for so many years we had nothing else to root for, right? I mean, so you get a Rule 5 player on the roster who is an exciting Rule 5 player to boot. It's not just someone that has a little bit of speed or, you know, is a back-end uh, arm in the bullpen or something. You get someone out there that, legitimately can possibly maybe hit 30 home runs if you gave him 162 starts. You know, that's going to bring excitement on any team, let alone a team that's seasoned to root for these type of players and has experience having to root for, you know, your your bottom of the roster players and and guys that you just have to pray are good. So I think uh, it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of Blashing himself is exciting. And I think the stories they're running with him right now all about him calling his mom when he made the roster, you know, all these things, work in his favor from a rooting standpoint. And uh, not just that, but I think it's like everyone's rooting for him, right? Uh, even you and I, who... Uh, um, what do you mean, even you and I? I've been leading the... Uh, I just went back and looked, and I am the creator of the Blashwag. No, no, no. But I, I think what I'm trying to get at is, you know, towards the end of the year, when the Potters are losing, you and I, I think, are more on the, hey, let's keep losing so we get a protected pick, and so we get a higher draft pick thing and this is something right where, yeah yes the game the game theory uh, aspect yes I, I think this is something where there's game theory reasons to root for them and there's you know actually uh you know good pr reasons to root for them there's just no reasons to not root for them so uh yeah he might be the most popular player i'm not there so i can't hear it but um i would probably be surprised if he was more popular than matt kemp but um yeah look i this is what happens when you turn your roster over so quickly. I mean, they just got rid of their longest tenured Padre, Nick Vincent, by the way, who we, we didn't mention here. Um, so, look, not a, not a lot of the guys on the roster have been here a while. Even the probably the best ones, like Will Myers, he didn't play much last year. So Padres fans are going to root for what they're used to rooting for, which is these scrappier, scrappier in terms of, you know, making the roster type of players that uh, everyone else, you know, in Blash's career has picked against him and this is his opportunity to shine with us and Padres fans like that thing and 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 you know what I don't I don't have a problem with that I I like it I think if you can get value out of a rule five pick you know that's great so um I'm rooting for him you're driving the blast wagon and I'm pretty excited that he's made the team and hopefully he plays yeah I mean I think I maybe should have worked in PR actually uh that's what I'm learning from this this episode yeah well I mean have you ever been a disc jockey no. Not, see, I don't think you have the background for Potter's PR work, man. Yeah, that, that's a good point. <laughs> um, I will say there are some exciting players, and I've said it on the podcast, but I lived in D.C. for a while, for like 10 years, and Willie Mopena came through there, and it was kind of the same. It wasn't There wasn't Twitter to kind of fan the flames, but when Willie Mopena came to the Nationals, it was kind of the same because he, he hit these tape measure home runs. You could always dream on his power, and he put it together – I don't know, one or two seasons between the Reds and the Nationals. But um, I, I think if we get one good season out of Blash, it's it's mission accomplished. I don't think we're going to get much more than that, maybe two. But um, 
the excitement reminds me of Ben Johnson. Remember Ben Johnson? Oh, no one, no one was that excited for Ben Johnson. Uh, I was. I, no one was crying when Ben Johnson got traded to the Mets. I, I don't know. I, I think I remember that a little bit differently than you. I think people really liked Ben Johnson. I remember him in a Padres fantasy league. He went for a lot of money one, one year, uh, just on speculation, I think. But I don't know. He, he kind of reminds me of that sort of player in, in Padres history. And like, like you said, if he can put together one decent year and add some value to himself, maybe you can flip him for a Heath Bell like we did. No, we're never flipping him, Marver. <laughs> we're never, ever flipping him. No, come on. He got He's going down into Dimorphia, Eric Owens, uh, just Garen Jackson, legendary lore of the Padres. He will be a Padre for life like Will Venable. Yeah, but you got to still go by the tenant of buy low, sell high. And so, you know, we bought as low as you could. It's a Rule 5 draft. And if you can get someone of substance for him at the end of the year because he had a decent single year and you've turned a Rule 5 pick into actual value on your roster, I mean, that would be a huge win for the Padres. A huge win, yeah, for sure. Um, now, that, that doesn't mean that you get rid of Blash just to get rid of him. I mean, if his projections going forward are still good and you're not getting offered more in a trade, then, yeah, of course you keep him. But, you know, the point I was just trying to make is that um, I've seen a player like this, I think, in the Padres before that turned out okay for them. Well, I mean, honestly, the, the last player that probably matches his hitting profile that we had was – he wasn't a young guy at the time, but it was Russell Brannion when he was with the Padres. and. He, he actually produced quite well for the Padres at that time. I mean, he put up good power numbers. Um, when was this? 2010? Am I right? 2010 was Russell the Muscle? I don't... 2010? The year that they... 2010, 2011? It was one of those years? I, w- I think it's before that, but I could be wrong. But, I mean, he's that type of player, you know? Um, huge power, a lot of swing and miss, Um but Russell Brandon is an example of where he actually was able to put it together long enough to, to stay in the majors. I mean, Rob Deere is obviously another one, another great former Padre. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the best case, and that's not that bad. Uh, to the one, the one extra thing with Blash is I saw him make a, a pretty decent diving catch in Mexico City in left field. Um, and it wasn't because he misplayed the ball like with Amarista or Kemp. Um, it was an honest-to-God diving catch. And he's also got a really good arm. Um, I was pretty impressed with his 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 long range arm. Um, it, so he's not Carlos Quentin out there in left field. Like he's not a total liability in the field. Well, all, like like most well, also super power hitters are. Well, also he's healthy. Yes, yes. So there's many ways that, in which he is not Carlos Quentin. Um, right. You know, I had him wrong. Russell Brandon, 2007. Yeah, that's what and 2006. But he put up. Uh, he, put he had up a really great year for numbers. Seattle after that, though. Yeah. Uh, what did he hit for us? He hit He hit 10 home runs and 194 at-bats for the Padres. That's pretty good. That's like Yonder Alonso's entire career. Actually, even better. The, the next year in 2007, he hit 7 home runs and 146. So that's it's a strong ratio. Um, I can't tell what his K, his K percentage was, Probably but sure. I'm sure it wasn't great. All right, but anyways, let's hope he can be Russell the Muscle. Totally agree. Let's let's hit on the rest of the uh, offensive roster here. Uh, the Padres kept two catchers, um, sending Austin Hedges down. Uh, any thoughts there? Um, it's probably the sensible thing to do um, until they can figure out how to dump Derek or not dump, but get value for Derek Norris elsewhere. Um, I mean, what are you going to do? Keep Hedges on the roster? It pissed us off all year last year that he was up in the majors, not getting at bats. So. I kind of thought in spring and you know taking spring training stats for granted and performances for granted, um, 
he he didn't he looked much better at the plate I thought I thought he had a better approach he was putting more wood on the ball um, I'd heard that he did well in the the Dominican League this year um, so maybe he builds off that I mean El Paso seems like a pretty great place to hit judging from the uh, Thursday night game yeah and I can't remember if I wrote about it in the uh, best case scenario for the Potters is your most realistic season outcome if I had mentioned this in one of the articles I did and that was that this year is such a huge year for hedges because it really will determine whether or not the Padres have other assets they can trade in like Derek Norris, for example, um, or even hedges himself. You know, this is kind of a make or break year for him in terms of out- offensive output. You can always put it together later. I'm you know, sure. But generally speaking, if you, you know, the prospects that end up making it have a, some sort of at least, um, you know, linear improvement throughout the minor leagues and, this is a case where we haven't seen that offensively out of him. I think we saw, you know, a pretty good uh, isolated power seasons from him. I think in high A and in, and maybe in a little bit in double A one year. Um, but since then, he hasn't really done much from a power standpoint. And if he wants to be, and we want him to be a three war catcher, that's something that he's going to have to put together. Um, now, granted, we we have seen some guys put that together at the major league level. Yadier Molina is a good example, um, but I don't think. His defensive prowess is as prolific as Yadier's was at that point in time. I know they're both very highly rated. Um, the other aspect of that, of course, is if they ever go to roto, um, uh, robot umpires, which I think they will. I honestly do think they will go to umpires um, that are computers calling balls and strikes. Either that or you will see um, Major League Baseball trend towards uh, – some sort of corrective behavior for umpires that have very outlandish strike zones and are uh, succumbing to pitch framing more than others. Cause I don't think, I don't think that's a fair part of the game. And I don't think major league baseball I and mean, a lot of the people that follow with that closely, I don't, I don't think that's something that should be driving value out of pitchers. No. And honestly, the, the, the off season was long, um, but the one article that was the most interesting article of the entire off season was Dave Cameron's Fangraphs post on um, catcher framing, pitch framing, um, regarding how it was self corrective because umpires are aware of the framing phenomenon and are overly corrective against the catchers who are highly rated pitch framers. So. Regardless of whether robot umpires happen, it sounds to me, and there's evidence to back it up, that it's a it's a self-correcting issue that where that value is fleeting in the long term. Yeah, and that that's again that just speaks to how important this season is for Hedges. So I think him starting at AAA, getting more at bats regularly, I think that's a good thing for him. I'm still rooting for him. I don't think there's, you know, I still think there's value in him, um, and there's potential there. I just. Uh, I'm worried that if this year he doesn't put it together offensively, that the Padres are then in a quandary where if they trade Derek Norris, they don't truly have um, a legitimate starting catcher. I mean, barring Bethancourt putting up to his potential either. Um, I don't know. I, I'm just – that would be one of the biggest things that could come for them this season um, is having a, a valuable trade asset at a position where you really only need one guy that can play all the time. Yeah. Hedges' pop times are still sexy, though, regardless of framing. Yes. Uh, he's still very loved in the Padres community, that's for sure. And Bethancourt didn't look bad. Um, I went in with low expectations, and I thought that his fundamentals looked pretty decent. 
um, this spring. The one thing I've learned as about far as defensively, and and I've said it before, and I posted a post on it. But if you're going to bet on someone, I prefer betting on a former top prospect. Yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, up the middle. Um... Not that Norris isn't, because I was uh, I actually was surprised that I'd forgotten that Derek Norris was uh, I think a top 35 prospect in baseball at one point for the Nationals. Right, you're referring to your uh, AJ Preller only picks up or yes, really yes, basically yes. targets previous top prospects post. Right, right. Well, um, all right, moving to the middle infield or at least the entire infield, they kept five: um, Will Myers, obviously Spangenberg, Alexi Ramirez, Young Jervis Solarte, uh, then Brett Wallace. I'm not sure you should really count him as an infielder, although he'll probably play some first base, I imagine. Um, and then Adam Rosales. Uh, I was a little surprised they didn't keep um, a middle infielder. Don't get me wrong. I'm very excited to not have to watch Alexia Marisa play baseball anymore, at least if I don't turn on the AAA games, if he even gets uh, placed on the AAA team um, and not w- claimed on waivers. But what are your thoughts here? Are you a little bit surprised there's no true, true shortstop backup? Well, I mean, the only true shortstop backup is Alexia Marista. Uh, Weeks is not a shortstop, and Rosales is not really a shortstop either. So, uh, I think that they, I think they would have liked it if Amarista didn't look so dreadful in spring, like more dreadful than usual. Um, but I also think that if Ramirez gets hurt, that Amarista is the one who gets called up to start at shortstop. So it, it's not entirely surprising. Um, I was surprised when the announcement first came out and. Padres PR always baffles me in that they announce the quote-unquote final opening day roster and then make a change uh, like 45 minutes later. Because, uh, of course, the original roster didn't include Adam Rosales, so there were zero middle infield backups um, until they, uh, I think, waived Josh Martin and then added Adam Rosales. So um, Rosales is fine in, an, in a pinch. I mean, this is a team that started – Will Middlebrooks and Jed Jerko at shortstop oh, last well, year. Well, so, does have 556 innings at shortstop in his career. He's got plenty of time there. He's got experience. Um, he's not young, um, but, you know, in an emergency, he's fine. He's adequate. Um, also, he, he greatly outperformed his career statistics this spring. Um, and if you really want to look at an outlook of what you're getting with Adam Rosales, I, I'd much prefer you look at his major league statistics up to now. But He's fine. He's, he's an adequate backup. He's probably a better hitter than Alexi Amarista. Um, he seems to be fairly versatile, um, you know. I, and honestly, I hope that he doesn't get any at-bats because the team is a lot worse if they don't have Spangenberg starting at second and they um, should have Alexi Ramirez starting at shortstop every game if possible. Yeah, I agree. And I think the only thing I would differ with you on is that if I think that if Alexi Ramirez suffered a, a major injury and they had to bring in a new shortstop, I think they would actually dip into their prospects. I mean, I know it would be a pretty big jump for Jose Rondon or Javier Guerra and obviously uh, Rudy. Um, but, you know, I think if unless they're already sort of out of the playoff race, I think they're the type of team that would be willing to do something like that and call up one of the major prospects and just see if it works. Um, and honestly, I think that would probably be the right play. I, I think we know what Alexi Ramir, uh, Amarista is, and that's like a proven losing situation. So I think they're they're playing it you know, such a way that if something happens to Alexi Ramirez, I guess they can play Rosales there. I honestly think they probably play Spangenberg 
but maybe maybe I'm wrong on that one. Um, but if somebody makes I don't know, for, for all the hate for all the hate that Alexia Marisa gets, he's a above league average fielding shortstop. Um, so, well, I mean that's based on what? Based on like a year of data? A year and a, uh, well. It's almost two full years, right, between last year and the year before. The, the year before is when he, quote, you know, proved himself well enough for A.J. Preller to sign him to a two-year extension. Um, so he's not a bad fielding shortstop. He's a terrible hitting shortstop. Yeah, I mean – But he's not that bad in the field. And if you're talking about calling up Jose Rondon, you're getting, a, 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 I assume, adequate to good fielding shortstop who can't hit. Um, I'm, I'm not sure that Rondon outweighs – Someone with major league experience and major league at bats in their history. Just to clear, but then again, then again, I thought Amarista was slated in to make the roster just based off of him having a major league contract, seven figure major league contract. And at the point that they sent him down to AAA, I think that we can, we can, and probably AJ and and the team executives can consider him a sunk cost. So maybe there's not that pressure to have him on the roster anymore. Yeah, just one point going back to Amarista, though. Last year, he was actually below average at shortstop. It's just that he played like 150 innings in other places and had actually reasonably good fielding metrics there. And again, this is all a small sample. I think from a projection standpoint, um, like, for example, if you look at uh, Zips, uh, I guess you can't break it out by position, um, but some of these have him as a below average short or below average fielder or slightly above league average fielder, but that's with innings dispersed everywhere. So when you project it out to just shortstop, he's, he's a below average fielding shortstop. But he's not horrible. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can get by with him, but it's not, you know, that's value you're, you're losing uh, as opposed to bringing up someone with potential upside like a Jose Rondon or someone like that. But look, the Padres have avoided the major injury this spring. I think that is an actual... Um, big thing for them uh normally the Padres are not one of the fortunate injury teams and and this spring nearly every team in the division has suffered a big injury um since the last podcast Diamondbacks actually lost AJ Pollock for a significant amount of time uh, possibly the whole season possibly the whole season yeah um and as a fantasy owner that's a little bit of a bummer but as a Padres fan it's obviously it's a bummer you don't get to watch him when he plays but you know the Padres if they are going to win the division and that's a big if Seeing as Las Vegas calls them the 26th best team in baseball today, these are the sort of things that will, will have to go their way, and it's it's a little bit somber, but you know a little bit morbid, but it's it's the way it's going to have to be for them. So it was another good week for them in 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 that respect. Uh, so maybe we shouldn't be talking about Alexi Ramirez getting injured. Let's just accept our luck right now. Yeah, we are due at this point. Yes. All right, the um, the rotation was squared up too after a very long, uh, drawn out process. Um, it was a little weird. I want to walk through what actually happened. So I think most of us thought that Robbie Erlin would win the fifth rotation spot. I, I know that there was some talk about trading James Shields, and that would have screwed everything up. But I think you and I were both under the assumption that it was going to go in some form Ross Shields, Cash, and Araya, and then the fifth spot was up for grabs. The favorite was Robbie Erlin. Then they claimed, or they didn't claim, they traded Eric Kratz, a super backup catcher that was never going to play for them, for Dan Straley. And now Dan Straley is a former top prospect. He had very high strikeout per nine ratios all throughout the minor leagues. He's somewhat of a, a stat head's dream. You know, he's not highly rated in terms of necessarily raw skills, but his stats were always fantastic. And he wasn't a soft tosser like uh, Wade LeBlanc, for example. So... 
he was one of those sleeper guys that people picked up in fantasy leagues a couple of years ago, and he just never put it together. He had some arm injuries. I was actually really excited about that pickup, and then I saw they waived him and declared Drew Pomerantz the fifth starter in the rotation. It was a really weird ride as a Padres fan there. For I mean, and it's a small thing, but it was a little bit of a weird ride there for the last week. How do you feel about Pomerantz as a fifth starter? Um, I'm not totally jazzed about it. I don't think, but there weren't any good options. Like if Robbie Erland had been named the fifth starter, I don't think anyone's really celebrating. Uh, I mean, Robbie Erland's Robbie Erland. He's not going to excite anyone. Um, at the very least, Pomeranz was a former top prospect as well, a top 30 prospect in all of baseball. He's left-handed. Um, I think that in his career, he showed a lot of problems getting out right-handed hitters. So, And he certainly didn't impress this spring. So I don't know. But in a lost season, I, I have a tendency to lean towards those that are better scouted and have better overall rankings from scouts. So I'm okay with the Pomeranz thing. Um, I, I ran into uh, Woe Doctor on Friday, and uh, we talked some Dan Straley, and we both said that we had gotten so excited in the four days that we had Dan Straley for having Dan Straley this year. And um, I, I'd read all the articles on him. I read about his new, I don't what some kind of medical, do- I think a medical doctor or some kind of, um, he basically diagnosed his delivery to, to maximize his velocity, and his velocity was up this spring. Um, he led all of the minor leagues, the entire minor leagues in strikeouts in 2012, I think. He was okay in the majors in t- 2013. I was kind of intrigued by him. Um, I didn't think he would make the rotation, but I thought maybe he would stick uh, in the bullpen until they can kind of see what they got. But um, it's hard for us to say really what happened because we weren't there for the bullpen sessions that he threw for AJ and for, for the executive. So maybe he looked awful. I don't know. But uh, it's not like Eric Kratz was going to play for the Padres. So the uh, the the faux outrage I saw when when Straley was waived, I think, was probably a little um, unreasonable. Yeah, I don't think I was outraged. Um, I didn't actually see anyone outraged. I was just like, that was weird. <laughs> but I, I, yeah, maybe not outraged, but I think people were. I don't know, upset because we we'd all trained ourselves into thinking Dan Straley, former top prospect, might be. Might be something. So, you know, whenever you build someone up like that, there's a little disappointment when it doesn't work out. Yeah. You know, I think I'm actually pretty excited about Pomeranz as a fifth starter, at least compared to Robbie Erlin or Jeremy Guthrie, who they just signed. Um, Yeah. Or any of the other, like, typical Padres fifth starters they've had in years past. Eric Stoltz is a very unexciting example. Although, you know, he actually had a decent wins above replacement one year. Um but Pomeranz actually projects okay. Uh, he actually is a kind of a high strikeout guy. Um, also a lot of walks in there. Not a ton of walks, but you know more than three per nine innings is probably more than you want uh, in the National League. Um, but the only thing that you, you know you do, that you do by playing as a fifth starter is you take him out of the bullpen. And if you look at his splits in his career, this is a guy who, as a reliever, had a FIP that's over one and a half runs better as a reliever than a starter. And that's something that's common for most pitchers. So when you go and you look at his projections and you're seeing that he's projected for one and a half war, where almost all that comes as a reliever, not as a starting pitcher. Um, so it's it's one of those catch-22s, right? It's nice to see them do some things right, but at the same time, you know, who are they going to have in the back of that bullpen now? I mean, they already lost Kimbrel, They lost Benoit. I mean, those, are the, those were the two top arms last year. 
they brought in Pomeranz, and I think the assumption that Padres fans had at the time was that he was going to be maybe a high leverage arm for them. Um, so it's a little bit of a mystery to me um, what they're going to do in the back of the pen without Pomeranz. But, uh, you know, I was pleasantly surprised that they actually went not on spring statistics, uh, which wouldn't have chosen Drew Pomeranz, um, but actually, you know, put him on the roster as a fifth starter. He's much more exciting than Robbie Erlin. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think there's a few other surprises in their names that aren't really that common. Uh, Ryan Buckter made the team probably because he's left-handed. Um, Luis Perdomo, I, there was a lot of hype for him, and he played in the Futures game, but I didn't really see – his stuff didn't really impress me this spring. Um, he's never played above high A, and he has very little time at high A. Um, he's – his stuff just didn't impress me. And Futures Game doesn't sell me either because as Padres fans may remember, Craig Stansberry was our Futures Game representative at one point. So, um, you know, don't get overly excited. So he's a Rule 5 guy that made the roster. Um, I think Thornton, I think he's the only other possible on the, kind of on the on the edge, but he did make it making $2 million plus this year. So, I don't know. They they took a 13 man bullpen, which you know philosophically I don't really agree with. But um, you know, if you're going to keep a Rule Five arm, I guess that's that's kind of what happens. Yeah, I was a little surprised with the Perdomo one. I mean, he's not really that young, right? He's going to be like 20- no, he's had five years in the minors, right? But he's going to be 23 uh, like in May, um, so early May. So it was one of those things where it's not like you look at it minor league stats are like, well, he was striking out 12 guys per. They just didn't believe in him in that organization. Um, I, I honestly, I don't really understand that one. But the one I really don't understand, and I think you and I see eye to eye on this one, is the Matt Thornton keep. Just because that's actually a sizable chunk of money, it's $1.6 million guaranteed. And he also has another $2 million in incentives that he can get this year. For a team that really needs minor league depth and does not honestly does not need a middling sixth inning relief pitcher, which is probably what he is, maybe seventh inning relief pitcher that's really not actually that good and is older. I would have rather seen them throw that money in, in the inter, uh, international free agent market. And I know that they might have a lot of money spent there already, but money is money, man. Just take that and sign another guy. Well, yeah, if you look at it. Um... He's the first lefty out of the pen, so he's going to get appearances. Um, I have no doubt that he will meet a lot of the metrics probably for uh, additional bonuses for him. Um, so, you know, let's say he makes three and a half million dollars. Um, I mean, what was our total? What was our total international pool last year? I mean, three and a half million dollars. It sounds like not that much in, in baseball terms, but in international signing terms, that's it's quite a bit. Yeah, it's um, like the Saquon sign paid for Matt Thornton. Like, when you look at it that way, like, that sucks. Yeah. Um, and I get it. There's not really – well, I mean, I guess Pomeranz could have been your lefty your lefty loogie type to face left-handed hitters. But um, at the point that Pomeranz made the rotation, I, I mean, I guess Thornton's your, your guy. Um, I don't think Ryan Buckter, you want to be your, your main lefty-on-lefty matchup guy. So – I, I don't know. It, it's kind of messy, and I think they're they're doing what they can with what they have. And it's not like they sent down pitchers that were overly promising. So, I mean, I guess this is just it's it's what we get. At least Guthrie didn't make the roster. Yeah, but he's 39, man. Matt Thornton's 39. He struck out like 
20. He had an okay season last Not year. Not really. I mean, he did by ERA, but he struck out just 23 guys in 41 innings. Uh, strike out to walk ratio just barely above two. And that was with selective usage. You know, like, I feel like a lot of guys that you can bring in, even failed starting pitchers, if you convert them to relief pitchers where they can just face the same handedness player, I think they could do that for even cheaper than this. Um, you know, let alone giving those innings to someone that's not 39. <laughs> but, well, yeah, I mean, I, I think neither of us are in favor of the decision. Um, I, I, I was in a, in a small Twitter argument today about it, but I think that every dollar that is spent, um, unless you think that player is what's going to possibly take you to the playoffs. And I haven't totally written out the playoffs. I think that some of the injuries that have happened with our competition is promising for us. Um, I think that I see that there is a path to the playoffs that's possible but unlikely. Um, unless you think that Thornton is that piece that gets us there, I'm not sure the rationale for paying a, a lefty out of the pen, non-high leverage reliever, um, you know, three and a half million dollars, which on this roster is one of the higher paid pitchers, you know, on the roster. So I don't know. But he's there. And I, I really can't argue that there was a player that deserved that slot more than Thornton as far as the pitchers go. Yeah, and just a little piece of history, by the way. If you want to contextualize how old Matt Thornton is, he was a first-round pick only a couple selections after Sean Burroughs in 1998. So he's old. In baseball. He's old, yeah. yeah. It's not throwing 100 anymore like he used no. to. All right, let's move on. Now we know the roster. Let's move on to the uh, season predictions. Um, they're all over the internet. I don't really want to do the same thing that everyone else does. So why don't we just pick a couple a couple different questions. Um, maybe we'll give our overall record and whatever. But what do you think – right, here's my first question. Who do you think on the Padres that's currently on the roster will end the season with the most wins above replacement? Um, and that doesn't have to be necessarily as a Padre. So if Tyson Ross got traded, for example, you'd still get all, all of his wins above replacement. Who would you pick as the uh, most likely player to lead the Padres in value? Um, I'm going to go Will Myers. I think uh, Will Myers – I thought he got a lot better as the spring went on. I think he's poised to – he doesn't have his defense working against him. Um, he's my choice. Tyson Ross is the obvious one, I think, based off track record. But um, his injury – I'm still waiting for the for the hammer to drop on injuries for him. So uh, I'm, I'm going Will Myers. Yeah, it's so tough to go Tyson Ross or any arm really, but – I mean, you got to look at it this way. At least by projections, Tyson Ross is projected for something like four and a half wins, four wins, four and a half. If he even makes like 20 starts, even 15 starts, he might end up with more than two wins above replacement. It, I have a hard time seeing many Padres offensive players doing that this year. I think Myers certainly could. There's obviously injury concerns with him too. Maybe just as real as Tyson Ross's injury concerns. I think Derek Norris could too. Um, I think he's actually the highest projected Padre on offense actually. Um, and I can see Spangenberg doing it also. If I had to pick one, honestly, I might pick James Shields. And that's just based on the fact that I think he probably has the highest probability of playing the whole year out of the guys I just mentioned. Um, with the exception of perhaps Spangenberg, but his projection is so low that, you know, I'm kind of banking on a breakout there. So if I have to pick one, I'd probably pick James Shields. I really hope you're right, though. I'm definitely hoping you're correct on this one. Well, and long term, if we want the Padres to succeed, uh, you know, long term, like Will Myers needs to be the guy that 
that takes us there. Like we gave up too much for him for him not to be that guy. Yeah. No. So, I mean, from where I stand, every Padres fan should be hoping it's Will Myers. Yeah. Tyson Ross is not the future of this club. Um, Will Myers. Well, is. I mean, I guess it's Span- which is why, Which is why I bought a large banner of him at the Padres garage sale this weekend. Well, t- to be honest, though, if Spanderberg had a four-win season, that actually might be more promising just based on the positions they play. I think it's a lot harder to get a player like that at second base than um, at first base. Will Myers is sexy, though. Yeah, but if let, let's let's just say for example, if, if Will Myers had a bad year or whatever, and Spangenberg had a huge year, because that's the trade-off we get to do in this scenario, that just opens up first base for Jabari Blash long term, man. Which is also very sexy, but uh, Spangenberg's never going to be the face of the franchise. Like he puts up four WAR this year, great, um, but he's never going to be the guy that sells tickets. Wait, what are you talking about? If you go to Padres shop right now, he's the main guy on the page. Is he? he is. I didn't realize Padres.com slash shop or whatever. He is the main player. I know this because I was looking for an all-star game mug because I have the old all-star game Padres mug at my desk at work, and I wanted to add to the collection of Padres all-star game mugs. But alas, they do not sell it yet. Huh. That is Corey Spanchberg right on top. Yeah. So it's about time they start marketing Jabari Blash. I mean, at this point, he's the, he's the hope. Let's actually – Touch and speaking of marketing Blash, yeah. I put, posted something on Twitter that Wayne Partello ignored, but uh, as we all know, I led a, a failed campaign to vote Amarista into the All-Star game last year, which hopefully can be converted into a vote Blash uh, campaign because he has the added benefit of being very sexy in the uh, in the home run derby if he, if he were to make it. Um, but for that to happen, the Padres need to be willing to put Blash on the ballot ahead of Melvin Upton, uh, presumably Melvin Upton. Um, I, my assumption is they would have John Jay at center field. So um, it's about time that we start pushing for Jabari Blash to, to – now that he's made the roster, it's time to push for him to make the all-star ballot. Two things there. First, I don't think – I think the new rules in baseball, you don't have to be an all-star to play in the home run derby. Um, I don't think that's a requirement. I don't want to settle. I, I, I like to set my sights higher. Uh, I don't think we should settle for just the home run derby. Okay, that's fine. Uh, the second thing is I don't even know if the team gets to choose who gets to put you know who gets put on the ballot. Is that something that you think they actually have control over? I thought that was probably yeah, that's that's what I thought. That's what I that's what I assumed. Okay, well yeah, then I'm on board. It's not like Partello will ever respond to me, but um. Because as I mentioned on Twitter again, I was also blacklisted and uh, actually, once again, not invited to the uh, the San Diego Social Summit this year. Yeah, well, man, they they just can't associate with, with you. You know, that would just be it's bad for the. It's bad for it's, the brand. It's so bad that you know we have minor chuckles on ownership's expense. Uh, you know, once every two weeks when you do a post like that, it, they, that they just can't have that be associated with them. No, uh, but it's fine when Mark Grant goes on Howard Stern because um, you know that's family friendly stuff it's good for the brand or when all of the pottery's front office goes on the dan cilio show you know that's just a great way to introduce your team hey here's someone who's been fired for making sexist and racist yes yes for being a a well-regarded big and is a self you know self-admitted steroid user during his sports career not that that's necessarily something that you and i are you know all gung-ho against but there are certainly segments of the fan base that are and you know, the Potters are willingly associating themselves with that and uh, not inviting one of the most well-respected bloggers for the 
Very respected. Very yes. respected. Um, well, what what are you going to do? Uh, we've we've had a minor victory with Blash making the roster. Uh, I now charge all of our listeners to continue the fight so that Blash could be an all star because he's the the all star that we deserve here. So, um, and you know, maybe based on the amount of excitement you say Padres fans had towards them at you know the fan fest, maybe that is something that will actually get votes as opposed to Amarista. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, that's the hope. I mean, the Padres have, I mean, realistically, I did, a, obviously I did a lot of research on all-star voting patterns last year, and um, it's a very difficult um, route to winning a, a starting all-star position. And I'm not sure looking now at the, at the rosters where the obvious choice is that would actually win an election is coming from. Um, shortstop is always the weakest position, and with Tulowitzki out of the league, um, into the American League, that's probably ripe for for a campaign. But I don't know if Alexi Ramirez has the uh, the Q rating to to win. I that. think the only chance would be Derek Norris, to be completely honest with you, and that would only be like an anti Buster Posey rebellious vote. Like if Norris started the year with like. Well, where's where's Molina? P- Posey's not the favorite. It, it, St. Louis does incredible at organizing votes for their players. I don't disagree with you, but I think that fans in the National League and fans in baseball in general are pretty sick of both those teams. I think that if Norris, for example, had like nine April home runs, something stupid that always gets a guy a ton of votes on the All-Star ballot that really, um, you know, one month isn't how you should be voting, at least in my opinion. I think. Well, that's the, the fallacy of your logic is performance isn't affecting who's getting elected. I think a little bit. It does. It's organized it does a little bit. It's, it's, and, you know, and nobody does it Nobody does it better than St. Louis. Uh, that's what I learned last year. They're incredible at organizing votes. I don't know how they do it. I don't know if they're paying people to vote, but they're incredible. No, I don't disagree with you in that respect. But every year there are one or two players who just had really, really hot starts to the year. They get a ton of votes as a result. Um, and on the other end of the coin, there are players that have really bad starts, and despite the fact they're still the best player at their position, they don't get voted in. And not for a, because St. Louis and Boston, you know, stuff the ballot box sort of thing. But um, actually, you know what? I th- you well, know what? I think I'm going to be wrong because I think Kyle Schwarber will probably you um, will probably qualify as catcher if the team gets to choose what position they put him at. They're going to choose to put Schwarber at catcher, and he'll get voted in, or at least he'll he'll. Uh, He'll get all those Cubs votes this year. Yeah. Well, home run sell. And if you're talking about a marketing campaign for, for me to run, uh, I'd rather run one for a power hitter like Blash. I don't trust the Padres to run a successful campaign for any of their players to make the All-Star game. No, we need to take it in our own hands. Yeah. Anyways, back to the season preview. Um where do you see this team finishing in the division? I, 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 and I guess it's a little bit too easy of a question because I think you and I are both going to say fourth or fifth, uh, maybe third if if you're you know a couple beers in. Um, I am, and I'm going to say third. All right, that's great. But okay, let's let's do. Some, well, let's it, do it, it's that, that's not just, just that's not just a bit though. I mean, the other teams are having major injuries. Like the Diamondbacks losing AJ Pollock is huge for them. No, I, I don't disagree. That, that, that's essentially negating the value almost that Zach Granke brought to Let's them. do it a little bit more stratified, though. I want to hear the odds you think they have of winning the division and the odds of coming in last. So you think third is most likely. That's what you're picking. What about yes. the odds of them winning the division and the odds of them finishing in last? Uh, 7% winning the division. 
uh, 43% finishing last. So then you have 50% third and nothing fourth, something like something like that. Uh, no, it's <laughs> if if I'm being realistic, it's it's like 43% last, uh, 50% fourth, and 7% third. But as I said, I'm a Modern Times Orderville uh, bomber in on this podcast, and I'm going to if I'm going to put my name on the line, I'm going to say that they're going to finish third. All right, I will take it's probably a slightly more optimistic approach, even though my my median projection here, my most likely projection is fourth place. I think there's also a high probability of last place. I'll say for both of those, it's about I go about forty percent for fourth and about twenty percent for fifth. But I would give them maybe a two percent chance of the division and like a ten percent chance at second, something to that effect. Um, just because you just never know in baseball. It's, it honestly is only 162 games. Teams in the division have already suffered pretty major injuries. Um, and it's, you know, if you actually um, simulate the games by a computer uh, selecting random numbers and you give the Padres numbers zero or one through four and the rest of the teams they play five through ten, which is saying the Padres will only play 400 baseball, they still will win 90 games over 2% of the time. That's just the way that, you know, randomness works. And so, um, and I also think it's uh, shifted a little bit because if they start losing and they're actually out of it, I think they'll sell players and that gives them a higher probability of sinking further down in the standings. Um, But I I don't want to completely sell the team short and say there's uh, no chance. Um, But, you know, that's that's what I'm seeing. Yeah. um, I will also add the caveat that I'm a terrible gambler. And uh, nobody should be making any kind of bet based off of my prognostications. Yeah, I don't gamble professionally, but when I go to Vegas, the only things I will play are either poker um, or bet sports. Uh, just because the other ones are most certainly not in your favor. I don't care who you are. Uh, playing craps is not a good way to spend your money um, because you are most likely going to lose money. Uh, but with poker, you can actually just pick on some really bad players. And, uh, it, you know, it really is... Um, a lot uh, game of skill and betting sports is kind of a 50 50 proposition um i've actually had pretty good luck in vegas betting sports but i would not bet on my potters related sports stuff one thing i've learned actually you know I'm, I'm fairly accurate with the potters but one thing i've learned is that you're too close to your own team for your own good um i will never bet on the chargers i will never bet on the potters in vegas unless it's like a five dollar long-term bet or ten dollar whatever the minimum they allow at the casino i'm at um so if you want to do, let, let's just say people wanted to pick whoever you thought was going to win the World Series, who would you tell them to pick? Who do you think is the best team in baseball this year? Oh, man. Um, I don't the know. I haven't really tough, thought about um, But I, I don't think that. I don't think that either. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think it's the Royals. I don't think it's the Cubs. Uh, I'm intrigued with the Rangers. Um, and I kind of think the Nationals are going to be a lot stronger this year. Uh, for all the expectations they had last year when they fell on their face, they have the same basic pieces there, and I think that they're just as dangerous this year. And, and Strasburg's playing for a contract this year, which if you get good Strasburg combined with Scherzer, like that's it's pretty formidable over there. Yeah, that's not a bad. Pick. So I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Nationals. I'm gonna go Nationals. That's not a bad pick at all. I think. The, the main reason I'm not in the Cubs thing is just because their division is so tough, um, whereas you have other teams which mu- with much easier paths. I think in 
the NL East, for example, it's really just going to probably be the Mets and the Nationals. I don't see the Braves doing anything. Um, I don't think the Phillies doing anything. I don't think the Marlins will be that great this year, even though they do have most of their guys healthy um, to start this year. But I, I just, I don't know. I, I think if I had to pick one team, I would pick the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, I don't think this is, you know, a great Rays team this year. I, I think the Orioles, I'm very close to the Orioles now. There's not a lot of optimism there. The Yankees are kind of, you know, they're kind of going through a Yankee downturn as down as the Yankees get, at least in my lifetime. Uh, and the Red Sox would have to have a significant improvement over last year. And I think that kind of leaves Toronto, which is a team with, honestly, a very stacked roster, at least offensively, with a pretty easy path to that division, relatively speaking, for the AL East. I think they're going to be my pick. And hopefully there's a lot of backflips along the way. Well, that's what we've got. You've got Blue Jays. I've got Nationals. I think we're on the record. That is on the record. All right. Well, I think there was a lot more we could have talked about, but uh, the season is about to be underway. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of other things uh, that we'll podcast about. Um, but it's nice to get in a little bit of chatter before the season and be officially on the record as saying, I think the Potters will likely finish in fourth place this year. Third place. You're saying third place, although statistically <laughs> you're saying fifth place. But Yes, yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you want to add here? I think that's it. I'm just really excited. Um, I know a lot of people aren't that excited for for Padres baseball this year, but um, I've sat through a lot of losing seasons, and to me, losing season is better than no baseball. So um, I'm really excited for the season to start. Are you uh, taking t- uh, the day off tomorrow? And I asked this because I'm my my boss I'm taking not. it off for quote religious purposes. I chose, not, to I'm, take I'm off, uh, I chose to take off work for Mexico City over at opening day, actually. So I don't feel guilty for that choice. I think it was the right choice um, after experiencing Mexico City. But um, I'll be at a game next week. I'll be at probably probably multiple games next week. All right. Well, I am sure we'll be on soon to talk about the first week of Padres baseball. Hopefully they sweep the Dodgers. That would actually go pretty far in, in increasing their World Series odds, um, or at least their division odds. Uh, But until next time, go Padres. Go Padres.